0: The Bane Free Radio
1: Hour. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Bane Free Radio Hour. Uh, I am your host, Jeremy Como. Uh, That is enough about me. Let's talk uh, about the gentlemen that are joining me today. And I had this queued up. But uh, Mr. DJ Dave Butler has been a a lawyer, a consultant, an editor, a corporate trainer and a registered investment banker, uh, respectively. Uh, His novels published by Bain uh, Books include uh, Witchy Eye, Witchy Winter, Witchy Kingdom, In the Palace of Shadow and Joy, Between Princesses and Other Odd Jobs, and among the Gray Lords, as well as the Cunning Man and the Jupiter Knife, co-written with Aaron Michael Ritchie, he also writes uh, for uh, children. The steampunk fantasy adventure uh, tales, the Kidnap Plot, uh, the Giant Seat, and the Library Machine are published by Knopf. How do you say that, Dave? Eh? Knopf. Yeah,
2: you know, I never actually quite figured it out. Knopf, I think.
1: Okay, or Knopf. You
2: say the plan. It's not Knopf. Enough. I think it's Knopf. I think my editor, as I recall, said the K, Knopf.
1: Okay. Uh, other, other novels include City of Saints uh, from Worldfire Press and the uh, Wilding uh, Probate from Immortal Works. Dave also organizes uh, writing retreats and a narco library uh, writers' events and uh, travels the country to sell books. He plays guitar, uh, banjo whenever he can, and likes to hang out in utah with his wife and children i've heard you play you're pretty good
2: you're, uh, you're very merciful
1: <laughs> well i liked your i liked your song for uh liberty county
2: oh cool thank you
1: <laughs> and also with us uh, the editor of the uh the book that we'll be talking about today and also an author of one of the stories is mr sean patrick Hazlitt. and uh we're gonna do a drinking game because i kept on seeing Sean Patrick Hazlitt but saying uh, Neil Patrick Harris. So anytime I mess that up, whoever's got a drink in front of them has to drink. So, <laughs> uh, so Sean Patrick Hazlett uh, is an Army veteran, speculative fiction uh, writer and editor, a finance executive in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. He holds an uh, AB in history and a BS in electrical engineering from Stanford University and a master's in public policy. From the Harvard Kennedy School of Government where he won the 2006 Policy Analyst Exercise Award for his work on policy solution to Iran's uh, nuclear weapons program under the guidance of future Secretary of Defense uh, Ashton B. Carter. He also holds an MBA from Harvard Business School where he graduated with second year honors as a uh, cavalry officer. Uh, in the elite 11th Armored Cavalry uh, Regiment. He trains uh, various units for war in Iraq and Afghanistan. While at the National Training Center, he became an expert in Soviet doctrine and tactics. He has also published a Harvard Business School's case study on the 11th uh, Armored Cavalry Regiment and how it exemplifies a learning organization He's also written a bunch of books <laughs> and that you can find on uh, bang.com and other publishers as well. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, before we go too far, um, let me let you guys talk and uh, promote, uh, you know, anything that you want to promote, where you're going to be, what you're writing, uh, what's up next. Uh, Dave, let's go with you first.
2: Well, I think my most recent release is the uh, Weird World War China, which uh, (laughs) came out in January. Uh, And um, we, we, I think had some challenges trying to get a signing um, at the beginning of the year. So uh, uh, although I thought we would have one locally, we may not. Um, But I will be next week, which may mean before this airs at Life, the Universe and Everything in Provo. That's my next appearance. Uh, I'll be doing the, the Bane Traveling Roadshow there. So if you're interested in trying to figure out how to become a Bane author, come look for me uh, at that. Um, and then I think I might not have anything until LibertyCon in July, to be honest.
1: Okay. Where can people find you online if they want to harass you there?
2: Um, I'm available and reasonably active on Twitter. Uh, if you're nice, I may invite you to my Discord server where I'm more available and more active.
1: All right. And uh, Sean, where can people, uh, what do you have, what do you want to promote and where can people find you?
3: So I, as Dave just mentioned, I had weird world war three, China come out, or sorry, weird world war, China come out in uh, early January. You could find that any place where books are sold. also encourage you to buy the two other anthologies that are related to it. There's Weird World War Three, which came out before Russia invaded the uh, Ukraine, uh, so it sort of predicted that um, because it's basically about the United States fighting Russia, and uh, you know we are at war with Russia despite what our betters tell us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, the second book is Weird World War Four, uh, which came out in March of 2022, so definitely check that out where you can find, I also have a book that I uh, that I submitted to Bain. We'll see how it goes Dave I'd I never give you an update but uh, Tony says she has it and uh, she's gonna be reading it soon so very exciting. it's called yeah. Wormwood Down. I spent about two years writing it, a little bit longer than I should have because of doing a bunch of other things but it's about a crash retrieval program before that and I started writing it before someone testified in front of Congress and said that the government has a trash a crash trash retrieval they also have trash retrieval programs as well but uh they're claiming that they have a crash retrieval program of non-human craft the guy's name is David Grush he testified before the house oversight mm-hmm. committee in July of 2023 because what I'm sounding sounds crazy but this actually really happened I encourage people who are watching this to check it out where, where you can find me, you can find me at com. That's my website. You can also find my podcast. Uh, it's called Through a Glass Darkly with Sean. You can find it on YouTube. You can also listen to it and watch it on Spotify as well. And, you know, I highly encourage folks to go there first and like and subscribe, et cetera, et cetera. What kind of things do
1: you cover on your podcast?
3: It's where military science fiction, in fact, meets the paranormal. It's basically exactly what Weird World War, China, Weird World War, Three, and Weird World War Four are all about.
2: Exactly what Sean has been talking about for like the last five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Programs and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm gonna check that out. All
1: right. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, I was joking before we started recording uh, that I am not qualified to interview these two men because they're very accomplished, but we're gonna give it a shot anyway. and so uh, according to your bio, you've, you kind of have operated within this, this world uh, before. Is that that's why you write about it or it's just interesting to you or what, what kind of draws you to, you know, writing anthologies and books like this?
3: Absolutely that, right? I was uh, an armor officer. I trained the U.S. military. Uh, again. It was kind of effectively the red team in the mm-hmm. Mojave Desert at the National Training Center. So I was an expert in Soviet doctrine and tactics, and we would fight 10 uh, brigade-sized combat teams every month, at least 10 a year. So 10 of these things, 10 months of the year. And we would routinely beat them because that was the point, right, to expose what their weaknesses were. Big laser tag sort of thing where you can see what mistakes people are making. So anyway, that's why I got into it. And I also got a degree in the area because I wanted to just maintain my currency in this topic so I'm still very interested in national security affairs and things like that but I'm also interested in where the government or national security affairs intersect with this strange paranormal stuff, right? So like the remote viewing, like there was a whole program called Project Stargate. You go to the CIA's classified website, you can find all the documentation. Um, it's ba- it's basically a, it's like a psychic spy program. It was real, it sounds crazy, I know, but do your own research. I interviewed many of the members who were on that original team. So David Morehouse, Lynn Buchanan, um, Paul Smith, Angela Ford, all those people so definitely check out the channel but that those sorts of themes will you'll find them in some of these books but i like i like where that there's a lot of kind of weird science weird uh paranormal stuff that yeah the government has kind of dabbled in and uh you know there are views on both sides of the issue it was a waste of money and things like that but if the CIA knew that they had a program where you could, you know, a mid, Midwestern housewife could routinely sit in on any meeting she wanted to in, in Langley, Virginia, right? That wouldn't be a, a secret you'd want getting out. So you'd want to deride people, shame them, and mm-hmm. treat them like they're quacks. But these people are out there, and they teach people how to do it.
1: Yeah, and um, uh, I don't know about, about you guys. I love a good conspiracy theory you know uh i try not to go too deep into it but uh i do find them interesting and I, uh uh but they're a lot of them are conspiracy uh theories because that people conspire to do them <laughs> so
3: yeah uh, i mean a lot and a lot of them are just conspiracy theories right so a lot of them are deliberate misinformation a lot of them mm-hmm. are, but you know I don't, I don't want to talk about the c word or you know what happened in twenty twenty one, but that mm-hmm. was you know, there were lots of conspiracy theories during that year that ended up being true. So exactly. Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna touch it I'm not say anything further, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No,
1: I, I know what you're talking about and I and I concur with your assessment. uh cause, uh uh in hindsight of course. Um so um let's let's talk about the book let's talk about the previous books, uh the previous world war. Um anthologies and and, uh World Weird World War China um uh what was cuz i i i read the preface Well, i read the whole book but uh, the preface of uh World War, Weird World War China i'm gonna, i'm going to just stop naming it from now on. um and what was the catalyst to wanting to uh to write this particular anthology uh you know a world war china and um and and the timing of it um i got a good gist of it from but for people who haven't read uh the book yet what what uh what was the catalyst to to want to write this
3: well we're effectively on a collision course with china right now and the united states after we withdrew from Afghanistan, which was a political disaster. I, I, I don't think it was the military that screwed that up. It was just, there was this rigid timetable. Uh, and, and there are things that went on in the background that were glossed over. So the head of that operation, I think his name was General Austin, you know, retired in July, right? And you generally, before doing a huge operation like that, you keep your general in place to Mm -hmm. manage it so Mm -hmm. that's a subtle signal that whatever it was i'm not saying he didn't agree with it but that's that's pretty clear to me that he probably didn't agree with the timeline but what you went what ended up happening was the political decision to withdraw on september 11th of all dates no matter what resulted in a debacle that effectively encouraged our enemies or emboldened our enemies to do things that they may not have ordinarily done because you know it was humiliating; it made us look weak, and that, in my opinion, was one of the precursors that led Putin to invade Ukraine. And on the other hand, same thing with what's going on in in Gaza right now is we've effectively encouraged uh, the rough equivalent of a fifth column in this country through sheer ignorance and TikTok to have you know folks that. Are, are literally reading missives from Osama bin laden and saying oh my it's so noble so brave how inspiring and it's like and literally you listen to the words you read it yourself and you're like there's nothing noble brave or inspiring about what this homicidal maniac is is writing so right now you effectively have two conflicts we're going into probably the most contentious election in history i know every election's that way but this one is particularly bad especially when there's heavy use of lawfare in order to try to disqualify some of the candidates um you know i don't really need to make that plural but it's probably better if i do and what it is is you know even if you're watching this stuff and i can't think of a time in american history maybe since the 60s where there was more potential instability than this year 2024. and not only that we're not the only country that's having elections there are 4.2 billion people in country in you know in in countries that are having elections this year i think it's the single biggest election <clears throat> in history so if i'm G, and i'm looking at taiwan i can either wait until the u.s diversifies all its semiconductors into the united states But if there's one year where I could roll the dice and be successful in taking Taiwan, it's this year. And we'll know uh, in April or May of this year. So this whole timetable is kind of what inspired me to do this. Because I think the United States is probably at its weakest, um, given all of the political divisions in this country the demographic that supplies the majority of the combat power to the United States is no longer signing up. There's a recruiting crisis in the United States Army. And it is almost the almost the entirety of that gap is one demographic group. And it's the demographic group that has reliably served the country since its inception. It's the demographic group that has that took 85% of the casualties in the last two decades of war. So we're in a situation where if the Chinese choose to roll the dice uh, we also don't by the way we also have not really ramped up our production capacity. we're also making much more advanced weapons where we can't churn them out as as reliably as we could in World War II because they're much simpler and we're not ramping up the the um, the current administration is really not thinking through the long-term aspects of their or consequences of their actions. So if something were to break out in Taiwan, we would absolutely have to defend it, not because of the treaties that we have or the agreements that we have, although they're important. The reason is, is that 90% of advanced semiconductor capacity is on Taiwan. And if we lose that, 60% of semiconductors are made on Taiwan, another huge percentage are made on the Chinese mainland. We lose aspect to that. Every TikToker in the United States is going to suddenly be surprised when they try to go buy a new iPhone in that sort of an an environment. So the United States, if that were to happen today, before we diversify, we would have to go to war. And when we go to war, you're not going to have the normal um, demographic that's going to be willing to fight. And they're going to have to, you know, if they take high casualties in this event, which they would, then they would very quickly have to resort to a draft and for the first time in history you're not there's going to be both sides of the country are going to be against against that draft and you're going to have lots of problems so if g sees this and he wants to roll the dice this is his kind of chance anyway that's a long meandering story about you know why this year is going to be pretty interesting and it's kind of good timing for this anthology to come out
1: yeah, well, and that—that's kind of why I asked because I thought the same uh, same thing. The, the the timing of it uh, is uh, pretty good. Uh, now the previous, when when you put the call out for um, the, these three anthologies, um, uh, what like uh, so the first one that you did, what was the call? Out? What were you asking for, uh, from your authors to to bring you uh, for for these anthologies?
3: So for Weird World War Three, it was what if the United States and the Russians or the Soviet Union had gotten into World War Three mm-hmm. without nukes for the most part? What would that look like? And that's kind of many of the stories that came out with, with science fictional or weird fictional characteristics, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, as an example it might be something about a parasite that attacks crops and how you know, the Russians might take control of doing that or you know a, a bunch of random other there's actually I learned about Project Stargate from one of the stories in that book I had no idea it, it even existed and when I did research and learned about it but there's a story about an application of Project Stargate um, in, uh, you know, war against the, the Russians. So that was the, the conceit for that. Weird World War IV was effectively what, what would the war after the next war look like? So that had a much broader scope of various stories, some post-apocalyptic, some just kind of like urban fantasy type stories. In Weird World War China, it was, if we were to get into a war with China, what would that look like? And, you know, with science fictional or weird fictional characteristics.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, I, have, I have to say, I'm i not a huge fan of anthologies, but I like this one uh, because uh, it, it uh, hooked me early and kept me going. Because uh, uh, the very first, uh, very first story gets dark real quick. gets bloody real quick and that's all i'm gonna spoil about it and uh and it just kept going from there there there, and, and one thing that is compelling about it it's not in the galaxy far far away it's it's here it's what if which is always interesting to me what if this happened what and uh and the um the imagination that went into a lot of these stories to to make them compelling make them interesting and and also uh entertaining was very good and uh you uh you did very good with placing your your in caps of stories I really enjoyed the juxtaposition uh, uh there and then all the filling in between was amazing and uh and I have to uh I have to say I, I really enjoyed and uh, like I said I'm not a guy that really uh Gets into anthologies, but I got into this one. It was good.
3: Yeah, I think the good thing about anthologies are they are a way for new authors to break in to the genre Mm -hmm. with the help of, you know, very successful authors to attract readers to them. And it's it's a lot easier you know, if you're trying to break into this genre, either science fiction or fantasy, it's very hard to do by writing a book. And then, you know, you take a year to write a book. Mm -hmm. You don't know if it's any good because you've never written a book. And then it's rejected, rejected, rejected. Then you take another year to write a book and it's rejected, rejected, rejected. It could be that it's just the nature of the beast. It could be the book is no good Mm -hmm. because you don't really have any feedback. You have no idea. With a short story you have a much quicker try-fail cycle, right? You try something, you fail. You try something, you fail. You try something, you fail. And you get better and better and better. And what this does is it provides an anthology. It provides a selection of people who may be really talented, but they just don't have an audience yet. Mm -hmm. And it's a way to introduce new authors to a much broader audience and get them interested and it also you know, gives unknown authors a lot of uh, you know, confidence to keep going along that journey to write that novel. And uh, you know, I, think it's, I think it does a, a service for folks. And it also helps you explore very specific topics in a wide variety of different ways. People will have wildly imaginative takes on the same topic, particularly the more constrained it is which is, I think, why it's interesting.
1: I, I agree, because uh, people in, in this anthology, people went some directions that I was like, wow, how'd you even think of that? It was, it was amazing. I, I thought, because uh, you had uh, you had a touch of urban fantasy in there. You had uh, definitely sci-fi, military sci-fi. I mean, just, uh, I think at one point we had zombies. And so, I mean, <laughs> uh, it. It's it's amazing the different with uh, one criteria, the many different directions that you can go uh, with that criteria. And uh, and uh, to your point about uh, anthologies kind of being a farm farm league for for authors. I mean, that's how my wife got started was, you know, writing in anthologies. And so you can kind of audition, you know, uh, instead of like you saying, beating your head against the wall, trying to get your book sold, you know. So uh yeah, anthologies are great that way because that's that's how my wife got started and, and now uh, she had her first solo novel come out this week. So um
3: Yeah, you will mention it. You should mention it.
1: Come oh, on. I should. I should. Marisa yeah, Wolf, yeah, there's no beyond, shame the Beyond Enemies. Uh go check it out if you haven't already.
3: You gotta say your uh, wife's name too, man. Oh,
1: Busting my balls, man. All right, uh, I know. Mar- I
3: know you got you got a promoter, man. Uh,
1: Marisa Wolf, Beyond Enemies. Go check it out. Um, so uh, back back to the story. Let's uh, let's maybe talk about some of the the individual stories. What um, uh, what you guys like? So uh, let's give uh, Dave a chance to talk. So Dave, let's talk about your story. Uh, what your huh?
2: I said, uh oh.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're in. You're tagged. You're in. Uh, what, um, what was your motivation? Because, you, uh, I mean, you write a little bit of everything, but like what I've read of yours has been a lot of fantasy and, and things like that. What made you uh, want to write the story that you wrote?
2: Well, it is a fantasy story, fundamentally. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I uh, had been reading uh, books about espionage from various kinds of perspectives, histories of um, activities of the CIA in the 20th century, uh, biography of Alan Dulles, um, histories of uh, industrial of corporate espionage um, And uh, I'm, I don't remember actually the specific case, but there I remember uh, in, in, in that in the latter the, uh, sort of books, Uh, There was an example of a story um, where uh, I can't remember the real world, how it worked, but there were like two different agents who infiltrated a company Mm -hmm. for, um, you know, for Israel or France or something. Right. And uh, they each individually uh, contributed a piece of um, uh, software and uh, put it on the, the target company's uh, network. And the, the pieces of software, which were harmless and inert when separate, uh, when they were both in the same network, found each other and opened up a back door, you know, uh, whatever it was, um, and uh, le- led to, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, theft of industrial secrets. And and so that was the that was the kind of that was the kind of core idea. So the story's name is Virus Duet, and um, the uh, sort of ostensible um, main plot is uh, that the uh, Chinese have just un- unleashed a um, uh, an attack on the the U.S. Uh, or they're about to. They're about to, and uh, in preparation for that that attack, uh, they have two agents of this kind of description uh, who are who have implanted a virus that's going to disable the U.S. Uh, air, you know, new, uh, r- recent, cutting edge, you know, air air weapon, um, the the cutting edge generation fighter jet, right? Wipe all the fleet out with a with a single virus and uh but one of those two agents is um, uh, who, chinese agents who has successfully infiltrated the u.s defense contractors uh is uh I, I think he's in i think the story starts in tokyo as i recall i wrote it a while ago and uh he's there for a, for a, uh, an industry conference and chinese intelligence grabs it. Because he's done his job and now he's a liability, they can't leave him out there anymore. So they, you know, need to need to wipe him out. Uh, and uh, and so uh, the story is from the point of view of the the Chinese intelligence agent who uh, kind of organizes that kidnapping and then they bring this, you know, successful now time to dispose of him uh, agent uh, back uh, back to the base uh, where, uh, the second plot unfolds. Uh, and I will say that it sort of mirrors the first plot, except that it is, uh, driven by magical sigils rather than software. And the, uh, heroes are the Falun Gong. So, uh, I had, I had a lot of fun writing it. It's, um, uh it's it's a little dark but it's not real dark it's basically it's basically That's
3: not dark it's not That's horror
2: not dark. <laughs> I don't know a lot of people die Sean I think everybody I think every name here in the story dies it's not upbeat it's kind of upbeat it's heroic it has a heroic ending yeah, yeah. um so uh yeah uh, it's called virus duet
1: no, I, I enjoyed it. I, uh, I I like how you, you snuck in the the, the fantasy elements uh, in there uh, uh, towards the end. So was, uh, I was wondering where I was going at first because it seemed pretty straightforward uh, espionage. And, and it's like, all right, where's the twist? Oh, there it is.
2: <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I liked making up a Nissan model car. <laughs> yeah. Nissan Paladin to slightly poke fun at them for having the rogue and the pathfinder
1: i was about to say i never heard of a paladin before i was hoping that you made it up and i, uh, yeah. that I just hadn't heard of it <laughs> there is
2: there is no such car yeah. it was that or the nissan half ogre and i thought they'd probably never actually make a car called the half ogre but you know the paladin they might yeah
3: yeah that wouldn't have passed muster from the focus groups <laughs>
2: <laughs> i would buy if there was a pickup truck like a big-wheeled, four-wheel-drive pickup truck called the Half Ogre, I would drive
3: one, Sean. When's the last time you bought a new car, uh, Dave?
2: Um, I'm kind of due, but I, I'm planning to get another 140,000 miles out of my uh, minivan. So
3: Exactly. Hence the focus group. <laughs> <laughs> I would buy a Half Ogre, Ogre, too, and I have a car that is uh, 2007. Yeah, mine is 2004,
2: yeah. 260,000 miles. You going yeah. for three? <laughs> Over four, man. I'm going for 400,000 miles. My mechanic is rooting for me.
3: Uh. <laughs> is it a Toyota?
2: It's a Toyota. I mean, yeah,
3: yeah, it's always a Toyota. Mine's too. It's just, you just, those things just. The other thing, too, is if you buy anything new nowadays, we had a refrigerator that was five years old and it died, mm. right? So, like, you just, if you get one of those older cars, anything post like 2010 is just, it's like, it's just fall apart on you.
1: Well, not only that, you're designed
3: obsolescence.
1: Yeah, and you're, you're going to be more, um, Able to work on it yourself if it's an older model because it doesn't have all the damn computers in it. Uh,
2: right. And that's um <laughs> I, I don't know if there is a market for like all analog cars, but like that's actually what I want. I don't <laughs> I don't actually want all of the chips. I don't want the car to like beep at me if I'm over the white line or like flash a light in the rear view mirror for cars. I know how to drive a car. I don't need a whole bunch of little warning bells going off to distract me cost money and add uh you know complexity to the car that i myself am incapable of maintaining right like yeah I, you
3: don't want the state of california to shut your car off in the middle yeah of
2: the right right because oh, yeah. a guy with your same name has a warrant for his arrest and so they just stop your car right yeah. like it just can't yeah yeah it's terrible everything everything new is terrible
3: or the, or the mean pumpkin people decide to block the road and because they don't like pumpkins and pumpkins are right. bad and you know you all need to suffer because of the pumpkins
1: yeah and and uh, I agree with everything you said the only modern convenience that I do enjoy because I drive a, a way too large uh, truck because we haul a trailer is the backup camera. you can you can uh, you can throw everything else out but let me have my backup camera because my, my truck's got a fat ass and I need to back it up. <laughs>
3: yeah NSA likes it too because they can watch everything that you do yeah yeah you are at all times
1: but uh (laughs) uh, Uh,
3: so uh I'm filled with lots of fun fun and very upbeat this
2: this sort of tells you the spirit that informs weird World War China
3: (laughs) that explains the last story as you as you mentioned
1: oh the the last the last story had me uh, had me laughing too. Uh, it was uh, it was a lot of comedy in that one. It was it was dark and comedic at the same time. Uh, I I forget who the author was.
3: So it's a duplicate. It's by Freddie Costello and Michael yeah. Z Williamson. It is it is a the embodiment of lawfare. Unfortunately, after long after this was submitted and kind of put into the book, we started seeing it in our world, and mm-hmm. we're kind of watching it in real time right now. But that's just lawfare taken to an extreme point. Lawfare among major powers, um, with environmental regulations and inspections, and you know the UN and all sorts of things.
1: It's funny because it's true, you know. <laughs> that's, that's well, I hope I it think.
3: doesn't go that far. I mean, it, it goes. From, it, but you know. can
1: see, you can see the thread. You know, you. Can oh yeah, see you can thread.
3: see. Yeah, yeah. It's not an animal. It's an animal person.
1: mm Hmm.
3: It's not a tree. It's a tree person.
1: Yes, yes. You can you can see the threat and and that's what makes it a
3: person it... with cellul with cellulose. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, it was it was fun. I enjoy it. it was a good one to end on because it, it it lightened things up, but at the same
2: time, it's like oh my god, what are we doing?
3: Well, Dave Dave identifies as a person with cellulose. Person with cellulose.
2: Instead. Correct. I'm an ant. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. He's I very tall.
3: Me. He's very tall. There's a reason for yeah. that.
2: And I creak yeah. when I, my limbs bend. That's right.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, uh, Sean, let's uh, talk about your story. Your story was uh, very interesting because uh, it's like what you talked about earlier, uh, things that our government has actually looked into, and but this is a, a potential
3: yeah, practice. So, yeah, so the story is called uh, uh It's just a German word for radioactivity. Um, and I took the name from there's a, a song by Kraft, Kraft Vork, Kraft Vick, which is a, um, you know, like a 1970s German, you know, Industrial band of some band. Sort. And yeah, it's a good song. It's a really good song. But what the story is about is it starts out. There's a guy who works in the intelligence community at Fort Meade in the remote viewing office. And by the way, that was based on what the remote viewing office really looked like right because i you know if there's a picture of it it had all the trees or so i used describe that but he finds himself in this uh you know again like dave's story in this intelligence counterintelligence web and his remote viewing leads him to the eye of the sahara which uh or the reshot structure most people don't really know what that is but if it's something that astronauts use to navigate you know to navigate in space because it's so large it's like this circle this giant circle in the sahara desert that uh who knows who knows what how it formed and things like that but it's almost like it's an imprint of an ancient civilization of some sort so he goes to this reshot structure and he starts having visions of kind of an ancient silurian civilization he doesn't really quite know what to make of it and he finds himself poised to between two very dark futures and he has to make a choice between which one you know one of them is kind of Chinese domination of the United States and the other one is readers will have to figure out what that is and he has to make a choice and the choice might not necessarily be a binary one
1: yeah the uh the ending snuck up on me for sure uh it it was good i enjoyed it um now one one story that i have to to call out is um kevin eikenberry's uh story Mm -hmm. because the ending snuck up on me on that one too and so uh uh, i I don't want now you know all cards on the table kevin's a buddy of mine so (laughs) Uh, but besides that i really enjoyed the story and um uh you know where it and it, it was just as uh it was a good uh mystery not a whole not a whole lot of you know fighting or you know military action it, it, it involves the military but uh it's just where he got to in the end i said i would read that book so uh, uh i just want to call that one out so if people do get this book uh of course read all the stories but that's one that i liked of course uh uh you all were uh, really, really good too, and so um, now, do do you expect to do another one of these uh, anthologies in the future? Do you have any future predictions that you want to put on paper?
3: I'd like to go in the past, right? I would love mm-hmm. to do a weird World War One. Ooh, I know people would love to do that, but the issue with that is it's been ground that's been well tread. Mm-hmm. Right, but it still does well. Like if you look at the Servants of War series, mm. it's not quite World War One, but it's it's a lot like World War One, and would fit like a Larry Korea story and Steve Diamond story in that exact world would be perfect for Weird World War One. That would be kind of the sort of story, uh, or one of you know many um, stories that that could fit in there. But anyway, if I could do another one, that's the I would look backward instead of forward. I think we've gone, kind of milled a lot of the ground going forward. I'd like to look at the kind of alternative history. I mean, you could imagine a weird civil war. You could imagine
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, all sorts American of American war.
2: Places. San Juan. Yeah.
3: yeah, you could imagine oh, a, a bunch of different things.
1: I I, I mean, and it's, it's what I love about uh, um, urban fantasy uh, science fiction is the what if aspect uh alternate history uh is is awesome for that and uh good thing about uh world war uh one is you have a slightly less advanced uh population that's gonna see some weird shit, you know yeah. and so they yeah. don't have quite have the explanation it's like oh we've i've seen oh. that movie you know oh, <laughs> but- no,
3: there, there, there's stuff in world war one there's uh I can't remember if it was the Russians attacking or the Germans attacking the Russians, mm-hmm. but on the Eastern front, there was something it was called like the battle of the zombies or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember all the details of it, but there, you know, it was, they were covered in mud and, you know, they kept attacking and, you know, it was, it was, you know, pretty horrifying sort of a, a battle. So.
1: Yeah. And um, I mean, if they can make a movie about Abraham Lincoln being a vampire hunter, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: you know, stories abound, you know? So, right. right. (laughs) So go nuts. Uh, So yeah, no, I'd I'd read that. So please do that. That'd be awesome. Uh, Now uh, you had a, a lot of heavy hitters uh, in this anthology, including you two. uh, And uh, if you want to, talk about some of some of those guys i mean the lead-off story with uh larry Korea and steve diamond was uh pretty good well well placed good job because <laughs> uh like i said earlier that one that one uh sucked its teeth into me and kept me going uh yeah, it sets the, the whole... tone
3: for sure yeah. oh
1: for sure it it, get, it gets uh, dark and violet very quickly and <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say about it <laughs>
3: uh, but th- so the the next story at least in the, in the anthology and this is very important to mention is lurking death by david drake and i believe it's the last short story that he ever published before he died last year so i definitely like folks if they want to see what again i'm not i don't know for sure you know he may have sold something to somebody else but i think he started having some health issues after he turned that in and probably didn't write anything further so, and that one's a creepy one, too, because it sneaks up on you. But creepy and, like, creepy is not the right word. It's intriguing because it sneaks up on you. It's it's more of a mystery. Like, why, what is this thing that's, you know, out killing villagers? And why is it not quite, like, a tire? Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And then it slowly wins its way into... technology that somebody else has in you know the period of the cold war which i think is you know classic classic david drake it's really well written
1: well uh i have to say there's not a bad story in the bunch uh it was they they were uh all pretty good but and uh like i said earlier it start it starts early and and go strong throughout the whole thing so um do you have any other i don't want to say favorites because you can't really say yeah
3: Uh, Martin Shoemaker has again kind of more of a spy story but if you're looking for a hard science fiction story Mm -hmm. you will definitely find it in his story Lunar Asylum if you're looking for something a little bit more quirky and you're into kind of martial arts kung fu Mm -hmm. um, Nick Mamatas has empty your cup uh, or dry it right so that's uh, an entertaining story from that if you're looking for you know so, something that's kind of very uh kind of heavy metal uh you know in in the wastes of mongolia you'll find the midnight horde by david j west and and and, and uh controversial historical figures that show up at the end uh, i'm not gonna say say too mm-hmm. much but you also have some science fiction, uh, more, you know, more hard science fiction by Deborah Wolf with Spike, which is about kind of, um, you know, the, the interaction between AI and, and humanity. Uh, I'm, I'm skipping a lot because I'm just trying to, to get through it. The Last mm-hmm. Ohio,
1: mm-hmm.
3: I, I can't really say much. It's, it's a mystery, right? If I, if I say any more than that, I kind of give away the story. Right. But it's it's kind of a po- po- post-apocalyptic story about an Ohio class submarine that's set adrift and trying to find a home TC McCarthy he I, I I usually love I mean I always love reading stories by him he's got one it, it takes time to grow mm-hmm. and I, I I'll just just to give you a, a sense and he can he comes at it from so many different angles this was kind of on his um Definitely more mysterious side. In Weird World War Three, he had a story called Zip Ghost, and it was about a group of soldiers who deliberately infect themselves with syphilis and take psychedelics in so that they can navigate through to different realities. So you're gonna get something that's like crazy. You're gonna get some crazy with him, but it's good crazy. Right? And and well, I'm this, one, this one this one kind of this one kind of fits in that one but he's a former cia guy so you know kind of goes with the territory. uh duplicate we know about that right lawfare um you know animal persons that that's that sort of thing <laughs> and uh and then dispatches from credo is a good one too like that's that's more of a somber kind of delivered in a style of like there's a news article here it's kind of there's some not Lovecraftian elements in terms of the Lovecraft myth, mythos but similar style in in some of the ways he wrote some of his stories where there would be a document here there would be a news article here and it just weaves together this story about this uh life form that exists on this particular Pacific you know I Nation in the Pacific that the Chinese and the Americans are trying to garner influence over because of this particular micro macro organism basically that lives on this in this island. So there's lots of stuff for for folks to read.
1: Oh yeah, you you've got a little bit of everything in there, uh, and uh, and I think that's what uh, made it a, a good anthology. And now I want to go read the previous two anthologies uh because uh just for that one story <laughs> I to there's,
3: there's another one that uh in that first one i think it's called second front it's by john langan and it is it's about the soviets and the and the americans on their respective moon bases after abel archer which was in kind of 1983 there was a limited nuclear exchange and they can kind of see like the blackness over planet Earth after the nuclear war and something shows up from the out you know the outskirts of the solar system on the moon and starts attacking the Russians and it's kind of like what what should the astronauts do and that's the and it's it's it is tied into the Lovecraft mythos so I like, you know, I don't want to say that's one of my favorite, but it, it that, that's I think what that book ends on.
1: Yeah. I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm gonna go check it out. Um, so, uh, what, what can we expect in the near future from, uh, from you guys? What's, uh, what's on the horizon uh, for you as far as uh, projects
2: where people can see you, all that good stuff. Go ahead, Dave. I um, have a bunch of projects in the works or that are being asked for that are in sort of existing stuff. Mm. So, um, I, uh, Aaron, Michael, Richie, and I have written about 80% of The Familiar Spirit, which is the third Hiram Woolley novel after The Cunning Man and The Jupiter Knife. Um, I I have been sort of stupid busy the last six months. And so I it is on to me to finish that, and we need to revise that. Uh, Mike Rothman and I have outlined, and now we need to write Ice Trials, the sequel to Time Trials. Uh, uh, Tony uh, has started pushing me to write um, the Fifth Witchy War volume, also, which is Serpent Mother. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of the, my my imminent uh, projects. I've also got a. I've written, and I need to do one last pass and send over to Tony. David West and I have written a novel called Hell on Wheels, which is about a kind of a Steve McQueen as an urban fantasy hero with a haunted muscle car um, in 1975 doing sort of the cannonball run, but with like demons. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, that, again, is something I need to submit, submit and get in. So I got a bunch of partially completed or next in series things that are really the next year of work for me.
1: All right. And uh, remind people where they can uh, uh, find you online. And I'm
2: on Twitter at, at David John Butler. I've got a website, DavidJohnButler.com. It's not a lot going on there. I used to blog back when everybody blog goes a long time ago, but if you want to see like a list of my books or stuff, that's there. Um, and again, I'm pretty active in, in discord. So come contact me on Twitter and, and, uh, let you in and be
1: nice, be nice enough. <laughs> nice enough, all right. Uh, Sean, what do you have going on?
3: Yeah, so as I mentioned, uh, I finished Wormwood Down, which is that crash retrieval hard science fiction uh, novel, which I turned in. I need to start outlining uh, Screw Tape Round, which would be the second in that series. So I'm gonna hopefully outline that and write it this year then i'm also you know very active a very active youtube channel trying to grow it as much as possible and in uh in in line with that i also now have a radio show on 105.3 fm talk radio in new orleans so i'm doing one show a week on sunday nights i'm like the you know the last slot of the lowest you know uh, viewed time slot there but um so so i'm doing i'm doing that uh you're doing a lot of uh radio interviews uh you know associated with this book um one i did was on coast to coast am with george nori um and one of the worst things that can happen to you is you get a phone call from from uh the agent who booked the the interview saying that uh george nori hasn't received your book yet you need to send it tomorrow so you know by tomorrow so you know i thought uh the one piece of advice i want to give people is if you need to get something somewhere by the next day absolutely positively never even consider sending it via fedex (laughs) Not only will they not only will they not get there the next day. You'll go call them up and be like, "Oh yeah, it's still here. All right, well, can I have my money back?" No, but we can get it to you tomorrow. So they will charge they will not only get not get you to your location on time, but they will get it to your location twice as long as it's supposed to take and they'll charge you $7 more than they were supposed to charge you for a one-day delivery that they accomplished in 2 days. So Use DHL or use UPS. Hell, use the U.S. Postal Service. Just do not use FedEx at all.
1: I do enjoy a good rant. Good job. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, where are you going to be out in the world? Out in the world where uh, people can see you anywhere?
3: The next place I'll be is at LibertyCon, and mm-hmm. you know I'm always—it's my favorite conference because it's—it's small and good people very good family oriented environment and you know it's just like coming home so i will be yeah there. you can actually
1: talk to people
3: yeah you, yeah you don't you're, you're you can't uh literally trigger people by existing right so that's what right. i appreciate about that
1: and uh so i'll probably uh, i might be seeing both of y'all there then because uh, i might be going this year but uh, i think i still
3: owe dave money for pizza <laughs> you keeping track, Dave? No, he's not. He's not.
2: I have leg breakers in New Orleans, too. Sean's going to get off the plane Friday night to go record his New Orleans radio show and get met by Thibodeau and Boudreau, my uh, Cajun enforcers.
3: Hey, it's a dirty job, but two guys have got to do it,
2: right? Yeah, I've got got family down there. We can recruit. Guys in in gumboots and overalls need employment, too, Sean. That is correct.
1: Well, if if you can't tell by my last name, I'm, I'm, I'm from there. <laughs> so, uh, okay. if you,
3: yeah, I don't know if anybody's listening, but you know, I, I'll be on. So yeah. we'll see. So
1: are you in new Orleans or are you in California? No, <laughs> I didn't think so. Okay.
3: And, That's why it's so bizarre, but yeah. uh, Hey,
1: you know, who knows? All right. So, uh, so the new Orleans henchman, uh, idea is not going to work. We're going to have to figure something else out. All right. Um, so, uh, my name's uh, Jeremy Como. Um, I do also have a podcast. Uh, uh, it's, uh, I do one for Chris Kennedy Publishing. We'll probably be uh, firing that up here uh, again pretty soon. with taking a hiatus while I'm uh, figuring my life out and moving and all that stuff. So uh, we'll be doing that. Uh, uh, one more uh, plug for the wife, uh, her uh, first solo novel for Bane. Uh, beyond enemies came out this week uh so go check it out and last but not least and leave check an amazon
3: out. review by the way leave an yes. amazon review for weird world war china too please. yes please,
1: please yes if you want to help your authors your authors and your publishers out that you like leave reviews like subscribe to their newsletters uh uh, support support your authors uh, in, in that way because uh, it really really matters. Uh, follow them on Amazon, uh, that matters too. You got to follow people everywhere these days, so um, that really really helps. And the, the reviews as well. Um, I think that's all I have, gentlemen. Uh, I really appreciate uh, y'all coming on, and I really appreciate this book. It was it was uh, very compelling, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And uh, I'm, I'm going to go read the last two. And when you write the, the World War I uh, anthology, I'm going to read that one too. So uh, great job. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk again. But for now, uh, that is all. Unless you guys have anything else you want to plug,
3: put out there? One more thing. Yep. If you catch on fire, stop, drop, and roll. Go ahead,
2: <laughs> No, this was a thumb up, meaning I'm Okay
1: all right gentlemen it's been a pleasure until next time um that is all for today and uh good night and see you all in the future
4: and now we bring you our audiobook serialization of tinker by win spencer Inventor girl genius Tinker lives in a near-future Pittsburgh, which now exists mostly in the land of the elves. She runs her salvage business, pays her taxes, and tries to keep the local ambient level of magic down with gadgets of her own design. When a pack of wargs chase an elven noble into her scrapyard, life as she knows it takes a serious detour. Tinker finds herself taking on the Elven Court, the NSA, the Elven Interdimensional Agency, technology smugglers, and a college-minded xenobiologist as she tries to stay focused on what's really important, her first date. Armed with an intelligence the size of a planet, steel-toed boots, and a junkyard dog attitude, Tinker is ready to kick butt to get her first kiss.
0: There were messages from Nathan on her home system, the scrapyard's line, and at her workshop. She let them play while she showered, piloting on automatic. The hollow feeling persisted, and it was hard to concentrate, as if her thoughts wanted to float around the empty space. What had Winwolf done to her? What had been wrong with her? She hadn't felt sick. There was a banging at her door and Nathan's voice. She wrapped a towel around her and went to answer the door. The Rolls was still at the curb when she opened the door. Nathan took in that she was naked except for the towel and pushed into her loft. By the smell of him, he'd been at a bar. There was beer on his breath and smoke clinging to his clothes. Where in the world have you been? You've been gone for three days. He roved the loft like a SWAT team looking for snipers. Three days? No wonder she felt empty and dull-witted. When was the last time she'd eaten? I tagged my later messages so I'd be notified when you picked them. He had turned to her and froze. Oh, God, what did he do to you? A major enchantment of some sort, she said, toweling her hair. I'm starved. Want to go out for something to eat? He closed on her, staring. Why did you let him do this to you? I don't want to argue about this right now. I'm hungry. Let's just go get something to eat. He caught her wrist as she started to turn. You don't want to talk about it? Jesus Christ, Tink. I thought we had a future together and you pulled this. She was missing something here. Something visible that he was staring at with dismay. She yanked her hand free and rushed to the bathroom. The mirror she had ignored earlier was partially fogged but there was enough to show her what Nathan saw. For several minutes, she could only stare in silent shock. Nathan came to the bathroom door, filling up the frame. It was her in the mirror, but it wasn't. It was an elf that looked like her. Her damp brown hair, elf-shaped eyes, that slightly almond-shaped, almost Asian look. Had her eyes always been that color? They were brown, but hers couldn't have been that vivid, right? Those brown eyes widened on a fearful thought, and she pushed her hair back. Elf ears. All the gods in heaven, she swore, I'm going to kill him. He didn't tell you that he was going to change you? He just took you out to the woods and changed you? Yes, Tinker answered without thinking, and then caught the dangerously hard look on his face. No, no, he didn't. He asked me, but I didn't understand. You know how he is, how they all are. I didn't understand. What did he say? Nathan asked. He said I was going to die and that he cared too much about me to let that happen. So if I let him do the spell, then I wouldn't. She wouldn't die because elves were immortal. Damn him. Why couldn't he say it in plain English? so you're he stumbled on the words sounding physically sick you are immortal i don't know i think that was what he was trying to do he wasn't there when i woke up so i just came home it's taken three days for the spell to run three days three days to work through her entire body and transform every cell into elf tinger stared intently at herself Her skin had the creamy perfection of elves. Her nose? Not even being an elf fixed that. Her lips seemed fuller, a red of subtle lipstick. I can't believe he did this. I'm not human anymore. Of course I was going to die. All humans die. She noticed that her teeth had the unreal look of elves and Hollywood actors. She grimaced, pulling back her lips to bare teeth and gums to examine them closer. I think even my one filling is gone. It was one of those white polycement ones. It was this tooth, I think. She stared now at her fingers. All her fingernails were long and hard, like she'd had them done at a salon. They seemed longer and more graceful, were they? Would she be able to do the fine work that she was used to with a stranger's hands? Her hands started to tremble, and she found she was shaking all over, Nathan's officer training took over. He guided her out of the bathroom, saying, ''Why don't you sit down? I'll get you something to drink. You've had a shock.'' A bark of laughter slipped out and threatened to explode into something longer, completely uncontrolled. She clasped her hand over her mouth, those delicate elfin hands over those full, cherry-red lips. Oh, gods, she wasn't human anymore. The bastard had turned her into an elf without even asking.'' Nathan got two beers from the fridge, opened them, and came back. He handed her one. I didn't think it was possible to turn a human into an elf. They can change a little shih tzu into something the size of a pony. Why not a human into an elf? She took a large drink and nearly choked on the taste. What the hell? This beer is bad. He took it and handed her the one he had been drinking. She took a drink and choked it down this one is bad too. It tasted okay. He took it back and sipped it cautiously. Tink, it's not the beer, it's fine. It must be you. The change did something to your taste. He gave her back her original beer and finished his own. She tried to drink the vile tasting stuff, but after the second swallow, handed it to him saying, I can't drink it. So he drank it also. What was the spell like? Did it hurt? What do you remember? Can he undo it? She flopped back, pressing hands to eyes. What a mess. There was no way she could tell him everything Winwolf had done. What she had let Winwolf do. What she had enjoyed having Winwolf do to her. He had a big enchantment room set up with the spell inscribed and everything. I remember him activating it, but nothing afterward until I woke up about two hours ago. So he could have raped you while you were unconscious, and you won't know. She turned and kicked him, partly because he focused on sex, partly because Winwolf had gotten into her without having to rape her. I would know. Nathan put down the empty beer bottle next to his first, leaned over, and pulled open her towel. Nathan! She tried to keep the towel closed. What do you think you're doing? I want to see what you look like now. No. Surprisingly, a blush can start at the tips of one's toes and go all the way up. At least it can when you're an elf. Let me see, he pulled away the towel. Nathan, she cried, trying to tug the towel out of his hands, but it was like trying to move a mountain. Then the mountain moved of its own will, lowering itself to kiss her bared skin. When Windwolf had kissed her in the same way, it had been like plugging straight into a 220 line. This hurt in a way that had only a little to do with bruising flesh. Nathan, don't. Stop. He did, only to kiss his way up her body. Don't you see, Tink? He supported himself with one hand, his other undoing his pants. There's no reason to wait now. There's no getting older for you. He was up against her, hard as steel, large as the rest of him. His weight was on her thighs and hips and chest, pinning her down so she couldn't even kick at him. No. You're going to look this way for the rest of my life. He moved, seeking her entrance. But the beauty of it is that with you being an elf, no one will think anything of you being young. Get the hell off me. She got her hands to his face, thumbs pressing in warning at the edges of his eyes, I said no. You of all people should understand that no is no. I love you, Tink. Then get off me. We're not doing this, not now, not this way. Be nice and there's still a chance for us. Force me and I'll press charges. He stilled, hurt and guilt warring for control of his face. Tink. Was it a plea for forgiveness or permission to continue? She couldn't tell and it was rendered moot by a sword blade suddenly appearing at Nathan's neck. Netanyahu, the elf from the rolls growled, pressing the sword tip until it cut Nathan's skin, and Nathan's blood dripped onto Tinker's breast. But ya!" Nathan jerked back, shoving Tinker up and over the back of the couch like a rag doll as he moved. While she found herself deposited behind the sofa, Nathan tumbled back, coming up with his pistol. Put down the weapon. What the hell are you doing, she shouted at the elf in low elvish. I told you to leave me alone. Both males moved toward her and checked as it brought them closer together. Put down the weapon, Nathan commanded again. Zedomonie said that I was to watch over you, the elf said to Tinker in low elvish. This man was forcing himself on you. I couldn't allow that. Put down the weapon, Nathan cocked his pistol drop it or I'll shoot. And he would. Tinker edged between the men, facing Nathan, holding out her hand and warning, Nathan, Nathan, don't. He's just protecting me. He thought you were going to rape me. Nathan flinched at that. Tell him to put the sword away. God, what was the word for policeman? He's, he's a law enforcer, she said to the elf. Put the sword away or he'll kill you. That just got a look of stubbornness from him. I command you to put your sword away. That got a startled look. The elf obeyed grudgingly. Put your gun away, Nathan. Who the hell is he? He works for Windwolf. Put the gun away. Nathan holstered his pistol and zipped his pants. Tinker picked up her towel and wrapped it around her again. It seemed to have shrunk in size over the last few minutes and was woefully inadequate at covering her. What's his name? Nathan asked. Tinker looked to the elf, expecting him to answer, since the question had been fairly basic English. He gave no indication of understanding. Do you know any Pitsapavate? The human language spoken in Pittsburgh, or in other words, English. The elf nodded stiffly and said in English, No. Stop. Don't. Water. Restroom. Please. Thank you. Yes. Go. Had he listed them purposely in order to indicate he understood her refusing Nathan, his English used up, he switched back to Elvish. Windwolf did not expect you to leave home, so my lack of pizzapavate seemed unimportant. What's your name? Tinker asked the elf. Galloping storm horse on wind, he gave it in Elvish, which was, Weetata Wataro Tuckenro Boteli, which made her grimace. My family calls me Little Horse, so Domizé says I would be Pony. Pony. Pony? If you find that easier, I would be pleased for you to call me that. Yes, thank you, she said. She switched to English. His name is Storm Horse, but he says I'm to call him Pony. Nathan snorted at the name, then sighed deeply. I'm sorry, Tinker. I had no right to do that. Damn right you didn't. She had trusted him more than almost anyone else on the planet. She wished Stormhorse had waited, given Nathan a chance to back off and apologize. She wanted desperately to believe he would have, that her trust in him could remain intact, that things could go back to the way they were. He raked a hand through his hair and then stood tugging at it, as if he wanted to yank the whole handful out. It's just that I spent all those years, wanting you so badly, and I finally had you. You were going to be mine. There was nothing stopping the whole marriage and kids and growing old together thing. Then Windwolf walked up, waltzed you away, and I let him. I fucking let him take you to do anything he damn well pleased to you. I've been going nuts the last three days trying to find you, and now? He held out his hand to her, tears coming to his eyes. It's like he killed you and all I have left is an elf in shadow. I just wanted to claim you, before he took that too. Your timing sucks, if... 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 if what? She didn't know what to say to make things right. Could anything make things right after he'd almost raped her? After Windwolf had made her into an elf? After she'd gone molten in Winwolf's arms? Would she have said no to Nathan if Winwolf's smell and touch weren't still lingering in her mind? If things were different? Nathan asked. The shitty thing is, they were different until Winwolf did this to you without even asking. I know, she whispered. Look, things are too screwed up right now. I'm hungry and confused and hurt and scared. Don't ask me to make decisions like this. You're just hurting me. I know. I'm sorry. Go home. Tinker, tink, please. The front door opened. An oil can walked in.
4: That was another installment in Win Spencer's Tinker, and that's it for the podcast thanks as always to audible.com and podcast theme composer ruth judkowitz and good night tony daniel wherever you are this is david f Shirod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of texas join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy and keep reaching for the stars